What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have Chef Aaron Franco. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. Dude, so we haven't talked in like five, six years, man. Yeah, at least, at least. It, it may be more than that. I met him, I for the listeners, I met him at a book signing party by another chef, uh, Chef Hank Shaw. And um, it was one, it was a night that really changed my life. Like I just started the first podcast, Inquisitive Minds, and I met this guy that was making money off podcasts. And I was like, you got to be my mentor. I hounded him. I was hammered. I got his number. We chatted. And I don't, I don't remember his name, but he, he ended up like, he just would go out and eat at restaurants and review foods. And like, he got famous. I really should figure out who the fuck that is but um i met you and we started talking and you were a sous chef at what was it big river at the time yeah big river at the time um yeah it was it was weird it, it felt like everywhere around corvallis i'd meet you at a party and we were normally pretty intoxicated at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dude yeah and and i've been following your career and you are opening your first restaurant correct Yes, sir, I am. And what is the name? The name is the Metropolitan Tavern. It's going to be on the east side of Portland, uh, right next to the convention center. Oh, man, that's fantastic. So before, I mean, we're going to, uh, before we get into the menu and what's inspiring it, I want to take us way back to Let's the beginning. It. How did you get into this art form? Well, um, it kind of actually started with my dad. So, uh, my dad used to, um, he was in the military and uh, he traveled Italy and he stayed there for about seven years. So even in my, um, when I was growing up, I remember him taking trips back and forth to Italy. And, you know, every time he's cooking in the kitchen, uh, he's making Italian food and shouting Italian and he speaks Italian also. So uh, that was kind of the background with him. He was the, he was the youngest of nine siblings and um, I'm the second oldest of, uh, excuse me, I'm for the fourth oldest of nine. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Big family. So uh, he was um, his mom, for some reason, took it upon herself to uh, to let him in the kitchen and teach him all of her her traits. Uh, so he paid it forward with uh, with us kids. But he only did it with me. So um, I was the one that he took under his wing, uh, like four years old. Um, I was in the kitchen uh, cooking away. And yeah, he didn't he didn't he would shoo away my other siblings, you know, like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Dude, that, that is crazy. Do you, did you, have you ever asked him why you, like, did you just, did you just take an interest in this? Like, I'm actually kind of fascinated right now. You know, I've honestly, I never asked. Uh, now that you mentioned, I probably should ask him. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely was interested. I think that it was probably, it's probably my curiosity of just looking in the kitchen all the time, wondering what he's doing and wanting to help out. Whereas, you know, the other kids kind of just got in the way. So I, th I think that was kind of maybe maybe he saw in a young age that uh, just I had kind of the passion for it. Yeah. So that I mean, that is so fascinating, man. Just it, it's or maybe it's like a fa weird family tradition. I have another buddy who inherits this farm and he's the youngest and that's his family's tradition is the last Bauer child gets the farm. That's it's, a, it's wow. an odd one, right? It's pretty cool. Good for yeah. him. Right. Um, but. And like, so you, you, you learned the, your, you got your first introduction from your mm -hmm. father. 
And yes, what made you decide to make this a career? Um, believe it or not, it was, uh, I would say it, it was not necessarily revenge, but it was kind of uh, proving someone wrong. So uh, my first uh, my first gig in the industry, I was 15 years old and I started as a dishwasher. And I was at a, a breakfast restaurant. As um, They have them in the Midwest. It's called Village Inn. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I started there and I was, I busted my ass, you know, and I kind of got bored Um, and I cooked plenty at home. So I was always like peeking around the corner and watching the cooks, seeing what they're doing and, you know, seeing them flip eggs and all of that. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things in the back of my mind where I'm like, that's not that hard. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I do that. Um, and I kind of got the opportunity one day, uh, you know, this cook just walked out. He just fucking quit on the spot yeah he just he just took off his apron threw it on the ground and quit and i was watching i was watching for you know about a week straight like i said just watching them cook so when he left i saw all the other cooks kind of panicking and um and trying to go over and you know cover his side so i just hopped on the line straight away and started flipping eggs started making pancakes started making steaks um and it took about an hour and a half before the general manager came back and realized, you know, and he comes back and he's like, Hey, where's so-and-so. And we're like, he fucking quit, man. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, well, who taught you how to do this? And I was like, nobody, I just, you know, I can, I can cook. So, uh, that was kind of like the first little introduction into the culinary world as far as, you know, someone saying, you know, like, let's give this kid a chance. Um, and then from there at that same place, there was, there was this guy actually he kind of sparked this thing, this fire inside of me. So I never wanted to work in the industry. I was actually gonna, I wanted to be a doctor, but, um, there was this kid that, you know, every time that he would sell a ticket, he was just like, well, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. You know, it, it, it ain't as easy as it looks kind of thing. He was super cocky with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he was that guy that, you know, he would, you know, on a busy Sunday night when everyone's trying to keep up, he would, you know, he would make it look easy. And then he looked at me and he's like, all right, dog, well, one day you'll have my job. Maybe, maybe if you're good enough, one day you'll have my job. And to me, that sparked this fire in me that I was like, not only am I going to have your job, but I'm going to surpass you and go as far as I can. So, oh, yeah. oh wow. You got that little <laughs> competitive fire, man. I love that. Now I got to ask, do you know what this motherfucker is doing now? Uh, yeah, he's still the same place. No, <laughs> still flipping pancakes, man. Oh, oh. 10, 15 years later. Oh my god, dude! Self-fulfilling prophecy in the most positive way ever. You've surpassed him. You've surpassed him. Holy smokes, dude! That is sick. That I love that. That <laughs> that's great. So so from there. Uh, this is this still a days in, correct? Uh, village in, yeah. Uh, village in, days in. That's a hotel. Uh, that's the same, same, same name, you know. Yeah. So, so the, where do you go from there? How do you how do you make it out west? Yeah. So, um, well, from there, you know, like I, I had um, my girlfriend at the time. She actually worked at Village Inn, so I was I was there for three or four years until I was like, you know, eighteen or nineteen, um, and then I actually moved out to Oregon uh, for school. So that's where I met you at OSU. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still, I was, you know, and I was there for a couple of years. I, and then I fucked around at Applebee's. So, I mean, that was an easy gig. Uh, but you know, Applebee's was kind of like the exact same situation where I started as a fry cook and then I'm looking over and the broil guys doing, you know, sweating his ass off and, 
And I just, you know, I learned the whole line probably within two weeks where I'm like, okay, this is easy. This is microwave food. This is easy. This is microwave food, you know? Um, but at that place, it was, you know, that's actually, uh, you know, the same sort of thing. There was this kid who, uh, who went to culinary school that worked there at, uh, at Applebee's and he was kind of the same kid where, you know, I was, I was learning the whole line and it kind of made him want to learn the whole line. Oh. Um, and the position came up for like assistant kitchen manager, which I didn't even want the fucking gig at the time. Uh, you know, like I was in school, I didn't even want it, but there was three other guys that were going for that job. And, you know, the, one of the guys I knew he was really into that job. Um, and they offered it to me. Um, so <laughs> of course I, I took it. It was more money. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I took that job and, uh, um, same kind of thing, you know, like it, it just became easy. And once it became like easy there, I was bored. Um, and that's actually where, uh, I kind of ventured out and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get a second job. Like, this is so fucking boring. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm making burgers. I'm, I'm grilling steaks and, you know, it's just boring. So, uh, I actually got a stage at Big River with uh, Diego Blanos. Okay, what what is a stage? So a stage is where you actually, you go and it's kind of like a working interview. To okay. where, yeah, so, you know, in this particular instance, he was uh, he was starting brunch at this fine dining restaurant, as you know, uh, mm -hmm. Big River at the time. It was kind of like the only fine dining place in Corvallis, Oregon. Um yeah. And so he had, uh, he had like 15 to 30 applicants, um, all trying to go for this job because that was like the premier spot in Corvallis. Um, at the time, again, I think they closed recently, but, um, so he had, uh, when I interviewed with him, you know, he had me on the line and he's like, okay, I want you to make me a poached egg, uh, over easy. I want you to make me an over hard. I want you to make me, uh, you know, uh, sirloin medium. I want you to make me this. And each person that he was doing that to, he was critiquing and, you know, in the most utmost, you know, assholeness. So it was just, every little thing was, you know, like this, this egg should have no lace or this yolk should be this way, or these grill marks suck. Like, where'd you learn how to do that? You know, he was very Gordon Ramsay-esque. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I was the only one that out of everybody actually that uh, he was like, yes, this is, this is how you do it. Yes. This is how you do it. Yes. This is how you do it. And he, uh, and he gave me a shot. So, uh, so I actually, I was able to learn under him and he was one of the chefs that mentored me probably the most in my career. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what, what is, what's he doing now? So, so, um, this guy, a little bit of backstory more. So he, uh, he left there and he ended up going to thirsty lion in Washington square. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, and he called me up one day, he, he left there and like, I was bored again. And he called me and he said, you know what? Like, I know this is a drive, but you know, you think you'd be interested in coming out and applying for a sous chef position. He's like, you're not going to just get it, you know, like, you know, based on my, my word for you, but you know, come out and come out and apply and it's big money if you think. Um, so yeah, I went out and applied and, uh, I ended up, uh, interviewing probably six, seven interviews, um, and one of them was with Keith Castro, who's, uh, who's like, you know, head honcho at, uh, Thirsty Lion. He, uh, he pre pretty much created the entire menu. He's the corporate chef there. Um, and Keith gave me like this questionnaire, man. It was like a hundred questions of like, what is Berblanc? How do you make Berblanc? What's a vinaigrette, you know, going through the list. And 
by the end of it, I actually, I got the job, but I was still living in Corvallis. So I was commuting an hour and a half to, to Tigard and an hour and a half back every single day, just to, just to learn under Diego. Whoa. Yeah. So no one could really question my dedication after that. You know, it was one of those things where, and not only, not only did I drive an hour and a half there, I was early. No every shit. Day. I love every that. Day. I was never late. No excuses, man. I mean, that, that, and that's that's what I've. I have another buddy that's a chef out in Bend. Um, he opened his own restaurant. Um, shout out to Tyler Shin. And the militancy of the chefs that I know, it is it is discipline, it is commitment. And if you're in their kitchen and you're dragging ass, they got they don't have any fucking time for you at all. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's and that's what this is what I didn't know. And this is what I'm I mean, I mean, DeMarco and I started talking about chefs and we both love food. We both like to fat out every now and again. And I was like, bro, like we got to get some chefs on this show because this is a whole other world that we don't know anything about. We have no idea. We I know that food is an art form, but the 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 dedication that goes into that is very impressive. And I'm all about discipline, man. I'm all about excellence. And so with that being said, I just went on off on a little tangent, but um, no worries. What, with that being said, like who, so you're a tiger, you're driving an hour and a half, like how long before you end up moving up there? So uh, my girlfriend at the time, she was actually, you know, she's the one that you knew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so I was dating this girl way back from Corvallis. And, uh, you know, it was kind of hard convincing her to like uproot from where she was at in Corvallis and move with me all the way to Tigard. Um, but, you know, somehow I convinced her to and uh, and we, we moved out there. Um, and ironically, man, it was like I got two tickets in a row just driving to Salem on uh, through Salem. I was almost I was almost late to work and I was just speeding my ass off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I moved, I got a third ticket and they took away my license <laughs> for like a month. So it was like right. It was the day after I moved to Tigard. I like I got my license taken for a month and I'm over here getting dropped off by my girlfriend, <laughs> which wouldn't be possible unless I live there. Yeah. 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 So it, it, that that kind of turned out pretty crazy there. Um, and, and, uh, Washington square, that's a monster, man. At the time, uh, it was the only freestanding, um, restaurant in Oregon, meaning it had its own parking lot that was doing above 7 million. So like, you know, places like Portland city grill, they were doing above 7 million back then, but they didn't have their own parking lot oh, or wow. their own space, you know? So this was saying a lot, this was a monster of a restaurant. Oh yeah. I've been there. I've been on a lot of dates at that place. Yeah, it's a, it's a good spot. <laughs> it's definitely a good spot. Really good atmosphere. Really good atmosphere. They nailed that. And that's all part of it, too, is the atmosphere, the food, the general vibe. All that shit's important. And and now that you're setting up your own restaurant, like, what kind of atmosphere are you going for? Like, what, well, actually, before we, I'm getting off track, is after you were at Washington Square, did you end up going to start your own thing or... So after Washington Square, um, I, I took a sabbatical, actually. You know, like I worked my ass off just so much under the chef uh, in, um, in Tigard um, that, you know, I, I, one of my idols was always Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to kind of like experience the world, you know, through my own eyes. 
Um, so I, I'm one of those people that truly believes like you haven't had sushi unless you've had it in Japan. Okay. I'm with you. Right. So like, for instance, like, uh, the cow rose, uh, that's a clone of the rice that comes from Japan. So the Japanese sushi is, um, exclusive to Japan because it's illegal to take out the rice, the grains of rice from Japan for sushi. So what we have in the States is a clone. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was one of those thoughts where I'm like, well, how am I going to make pad thai if I've never had it myself, you know, in Thailand? How am I going to do this if I haven't had this? So I decided to take, I took a six month sabbatical. Um, and I, you know, it was, I saved up quite a bit of money working at Thirsty Lion because, you know, I was just working 12 fucking hours a day, 14 mm -hmm. hours a day and commuting. You know, I didn't have time to spend that money. Uh, so uh, I went to, um, I traveled all the islands of Hawaii. I uh, went to China. Um, I went down through Malaysia and Thailand, and um, and I stayed in Singapore for like three months. Oh my um, God. Yeah, and it was you know that was one of those uh, just life changing moments that kind of made me realize like how the fuck did I get here? Um, you know, and going to these restaurants, uh, you know, at in other countries, uh, they hold they hold chefs to such a high standard. Sometimes some people have to go you know fifteen years to. To, uh, to school or to be mentored before they ever become a chef. So uh, it just, it just kind of sparked this thing in me. You know, I, I also went to um, Sweden and uh, London and um, Ireland and, you know, kind of all around Europe also. Um, and I took that time to like write a book. I was really into um, writing at the time. Um, so, and I have like 30 plus books in the works, but I, I took that time to actually uh, write and publish a book. Um, so when I got back in the States, um, you know, I had all this experience from going from restaurant to restaurant and I actually worked at quite a few of them, uh, for free. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's another thing, um, that I didn't know a lot of chefs did when they were overseas. Cause it's this, it's this weird network and I could be wrong here, but there, it's this weird network. So you know, a guy and he's like, I know I have a homie over in Ireland or I got a guy in Singapore Tell them I sent you, and then you can kind of learn some things. Is that kind of what happened to you? A thousand percent. Yeah, a thousand percent. Uh, there was there was two places where, you know, I straight up went in there, and I liked the food so much, and I asked, you know, hey, can I work here one day? I just, you know, I live in another country. I just kind of want to get a feel for the culture. And a lot of the time, uh, people are very receptive to, like, you wanting to understand their culture um, and learn from it. So I, I just humbled myself. Um, you know, like, I'm a student you know, there's no way that I'm going to know it all, but I want to come in here and I want to learn. And if I can learn from you, uh, you know, then I'll, I'll be blessed in doing so. And if I, you know, and so that's kind of the, the aspect I took. Um, and it, I mean, it paid dividends in the end. So. Dude, I'm getting so fucking hyped right now. This is so, <laughs> it's so awesome. It's so awesome. I love that this type of thing still goes on that, that, that human connection, right? We all laugh, we all cry, and we all love to we all love to grub down. And I love that your experience and your life is dedicated to food and service and experiencing the world through food. And and then through food, you get people's culture. And I love that. And I love that you were able to live that. You had your little Anthony Bourdain moment. And that, I mean, that rest in peace, man. Like that show changed everyone. It show changed everyone. I loved him too. I was devastated when he passed away. He's an incredible, 
incredible guy. Yeah, I couldn't watch any rerun for like six months. And it it was one of those weird things, too, where everyone would talk about him like, oh, I miss him. I miss him. And, I, you know, I felt like his kid. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, you know, how do you miss him? You don't even know him. And I'm like, well, fuck, I didn't know him. What am I, what am I saying? <laughs> yeah. So defensive. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you make it to Japan or is that on the list? Uh, it's on the list next, you know, Um I, I haven't made it out there yet. No, but uh, it, it's funny. I want to, I really want to go to, there's this uh, like subculture in Japan and I think it's Nagoya uh, where they have like uh, Chicanos. They, they adopted the food. You yes. know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. Vice did a piece on that where yeah, they've yeah, adopted, they adopted the Mexican culture and they're all dressed up as like I don't know, cholos and whatnot, just chilling. They've got the low riders and what, and, and whatnot. What's up, DeMarco? Is that not a no, cultural? No. Is that a bad term? You made a face. Oh no, I'm just amazed that that's a thing. That I like. I want to see this now. I've never okay, heard. Bro, of, I've never heard bro, of this. Google it. It's crazy. What dude. is it called I, again? Uh, I think it's Nagoya, Nagoya, Japan, and it's like uh, Chicano. Okay. So, uh, and yeah. it, it's not only that; like they have the um, oh man, some of them are in the into the like fifties, man. I got some buddies from Southern California. They're like the rockabilly kind of, kind yeah, of that vibe. that rock yeah. that that rock. Thank you, that rockabilly kind of. Uh, but fun fact about Rick, uh, that's the only type of music I hate. What? It's rock. Wait, I hate rock. No, wait, how? You hate it's, rock and roll. No, rockabilly. I hate rockabilly. Oh, what is so I don't even know what rockabilly is. You can't get is. down with that like sick du- uh, like d- uh double baseline kind of thing. Like oh, it's terrible. Wow. It's a d- uh, uh, Aaron, you don't want to know what it is. It's gar- <laughs> Well, to be fair, to be fair, and this is after this is we'll be done with this tangent. Uh, I I do not understand the consciousness Necess- I don't have the consciousness, or I haven't figured out the consciousness necessary to enjoy that type of music as of yet. <laughs> But maybe, maybe, just maybe, in the future. I uh, was I looking up. I was looking up rockabilly, and apparently, rockabilly is a huge thing in Japan too. So, like, yeah, like just <laughs> it's it. They just look like they look like. Uh, I'll put a link of, to a picture in the chat. They look like almost like post-apocalyptic stereotypes of what people thought Greece was like a hundred years in the future. Like, what? Yeah. That's a- <laughs> That's a crazy explanation. I'm, I can't wait see to the picture. Up. See the picture and, and see what I mean. <laughs> All right, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm going to pull this. Let's see what it looks like. I'll see. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's intense. So that's not the, that's not the, that's definitely not the scene that we're talking about, though. But see if you can find like uh, Japanese cholo scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, cholo. That's a good word for it, actually. Yeah, yeah. I saw even on Vice where they're interviewing, like, you know, do you even know who Mary is? Like, they had Mary, the Mother of God, on there, <laughs> <laughs> and she's, you know, and the person they're interviewing is like, no, but it's cool. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> yeah, I found it. It's, uh, I, I mean, found I'm a, down. I'm ready to be a part of that. <laughs> I found a website called Japan Junkie that has that's a whole article about this. That yeah, it's just. It's just them, like straight up, just imitating being cholos. It's so funny. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you got to check that out and let me know. You know, I'm in, and on that subject, Vice, dude, for like two years, it was garbage, bro. It was not the Vice that like we kind of grew up with. They got really into that woke culture and like gritty. Yeah, yeah. And now it's gotten back to that gritty, like we're talking about drugs and we, we want to go see different sh- I love it. But for like two years, it was, it was kind of lame and I stopped watching it. 
But I've been watching a lot lately, actually. Uh, they they have like the most hard hitting stories now. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, they definitely do. So, what kind? Back to food. What kind of cuisine do you think is the most influential towards you? And you know what? It's a really tough question. What do you enjoy cooking the most? Uh, it's a great question. Um, so I would I would say Italian. I mean, you know, hands down, it's that was the kind of love that I got from my father. Um, so pastas, pastas go straight to that. Um, my um, actually, so my parents got divorced when I was about eleven years old. Um, actually, on my eleventh birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. It's a good mile marker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but shortly after that, uh, so my mom was dealing with some mental health issues and, you know, she was kind of out of the picture and, uh, my dad, he ended up getting bedridden. Uh, he had like this just disease that, uh, you know, took over his life for about six months, eight months. Um, so, you know, for a while there, he, he was unemployed and I was watching the kids and I was cooking every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and at the time we were homeschooled too. Uh, so you know, what did I make? I made pasta, uh, all the time, pasta, uh, gnocchi. Um, one of my staples in my restaurant right now that I put on the menu is, uh, basil ricotta gnocchi. Mm. Um, and that's something I, you know, it's, it's intimidating to a lot of people, but you know, I make it with my nephews who are like seven and eight years old. So it's just, you know, it's, it's all technique and it's, you know, it's all love. If you put, if you put love in what you're cooking, you know, that's, it's going to come out great. Yeah, man, most definitely. The true words have never been spoken. I mean, and that's that's why I'm a, a novice, a novice little chef over here. I like to think of myself as one. I'm terrible. There's a lot of things I don't learn. I don't know. Don't listen um, to him. He's a good cook. I we did what when our work day. You what was that? That the like keto hash thing you made. That was yeah. Great. So what what I do is like all the foods that I know how to cook are going to be like very healthy, spin low carb stuff. Mm-hmm. I haven't been because i'm on a quest to get a six pack and um it's been a bitch i'm still been there yeah, yeah been there. <laughs> so, so I'm, everything that i make is like i'm i got a, a pellet a pellet grill so mm-hmm. i smoke a lot of meats and you know a lot of pork butts briskets you know that texas barbecue um anything i haven't really gotten into experimenting with sauces but a lot of like vegetables a lot of vegetable medleys a lot of cauliflower rice and i just kind of add my own flavor on that i mean that's i mean and that's a thing that I found is less is a less is more when oh, you cook. Always. Yeah, for less. Sure. Yeah, less is more, and it's so surprising how just vegetables. Like making sure that I don't like to like cook my vegetables all the way through. I like a little. I like a little crunch, and mm-hmm. a lot of that is just my own personal flavor. I, I, my buddy, another Ty, shout out to Tyler. He was in uh, culinary school, and one of the his instructors like there's a lot of pepper, and he's like, I like pepper. <laughs> I like to put heavy pepper on my stuff. The dude looks at him and he's like, touche. Good point. All right. Carry so, on. Uh, there's the corporate chef that I work for currently. Um, you know, he's a, the corporate chef of the urban group that I work for. Uh, he's a British guy. He's worked in Michelin star restaurants. Uh, um, I think, I think he worked for Gordon Ramsay. I know he was like, uh, you know, at the Viceroy hotel and all this other crazy shit, but he gave me the freedom and this, this, um, this company actually, they gave me the freedom to do whatever the fuck I wanted on this menu. So, you know, the whole thing is me. 
Um, and in my first go, you know, I just kind of went crazy and I put together all this shit that I thought would please everyone else, you know, this sandwich and this dish and that dish. And, you know, he went through it and, you know, in a very British accent was telling me, you know, chef, it looks like you're trying to please everyone else. And I was like, yes, sir. Well, you know, I want to sell, I want to be successful. And he says, that's not what's going to make you successful. What's going to make you successful is you doing what you like to do and fuck everybody else. If people come in the restaurant and they don't like your cooking style, they're not meant to be there. Oh. And, and he, and uh, you know, and coming from this guy, that's, it kind of changed the whole menu. So I, I actually took the menu that I had and chopped it in half and, you know, gutted it and put all of, all of my heart on there. So, you know, one of the things he said was, uh, he said, you know, you have an Italian background. Why, why don't you put a carbonara on there? And I said, well, chef, I was going to, but I thought maybe it was too simplistic. And he's like, that's better. That's better. He said, do you do it? Well, I said, yes, sir. Better than anybody. And he said, then, then that's what you need to put on there. Um, so yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that, man. Like, you know, it, it's not necessarily the fact that you're, you're roasting uh, a pork shoulder or, you know, you're slow cooking it, but I mean, like time and energy goes and thought goes into that marinade that you might put on there or the dry rub that you put on there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the combination of spices and flavors, like that's pretty intriguing, you know, and every person has different taste buds, but if you're doing what you like and other people like it too, then I fuck with that. Yeah, then that, that's how I, that's that's how I roll, man. I love I love putting peppers and everything. I love I love serranos, I love jalapenos. I, I'm a huge fan of that. One of the things that I'm interested in, I don't know if you've experimented with this. I just purchased a book that I'm reading right now. It's mm -hmm. on salt block cooking. Have you ever done any of that? I have not. I have not. Not at all. I am so fascinated by cooking things on a salt block. It just, I think they're beautiful. Um, I mean, right now, just in the very beginning, um, they, they, they get the, it's, it's Himalayan salt, but it's, 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 it's comes from a mine in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Um, salt is something that's super interesting. And I, I think I've just brought this up. There's a show, I think it's called, why is it so expensive or something like that? And, um, I just got really interested in like kind of weird, obscure practices. And, and, and I want to get salt from um, these salt miners in Mexico. Uh, they've been doing it for like, I don't know, four or five generations. Um, and, and I want to get that. I want to get these Himalayan salt. They have blocks, bowls, a, a salt bowl that you can make ceviche in, man. I sure. am fascinated. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll send you the book uh, or I'll let well, you what I've realized is like, as far as cooking goes, uh, you know, a lot of exposure that we get is the opportunities in the restaurants that we come into. So, I mean, like, as far as like salt blocks and stuff, you know, there's, that's such a small niche of, you know, of cooking that it's probably big somewhere else, but you know, here, no one knows what the hell it is. So that I've never had any hands-on experience with that whatsoever. Like, um, this is actually one of the first restaurants where I got to use a sous vide, uh, like just, you know, or completely. And we have like a blast chiller here. That's, I mean, that's expensive as hell. I've never worked at a restaurant that had a, like a blast chiller. Yeah. So the blast chiller, that's where, uh, if I'm now I'm talking on my ass, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I was just reading in a cookbook uh, by Mark Sisson, right. Where you, he would, like, I don't know, flash, he, he like flash boil uh, vegetables and then put them in a bunch of ice. Is that, mm -hmm. is that kind of what we're doing here or uh, am I wrong? Similar. similar. So um, that's 
technically, I mean, it's a process of what you're doing, but not necessarily. So a blast chiller, it, imagine like a giant, almost like a walk-in cooler, uh, but it has, it's just set up with nothing but fans at all angles. Um, and what, what it does is it actually lowers the chance of foodborne illness. Mm. So you can, um, you have a, a time window that you have to cool product in. So say, um, say you cook Brussels sprouts and they come out at 170 degrees. Um, then you have four hours to cut that temperature in half. Um, you know, so 170 and then you're going, you're, you know, you're going halfway down on temperature in the walk-in. Well, the problem with that is sometimes that low, that, uh, raises the temperature in the walk-in cooler. Um, and then you only have two more hours to get it below 35 degrees. So when it's below 35 degrees, then you kind of lower all chances of foodborne illnesses, uh, botulism, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but when you put in a blast chiller, you can take it from, 250 degrees to frozen in 90 minutes if you need to. Whoa. It just, it circulates the air so that uh, microorganisms can't grow on the food itself. Oh, that's fascinating. I and, did not. Yeah, and it's expensive. It's, I mean, like this is the first restaurant I've ever seen one too. So it's, it's pretty cool. So, and this is, this is just for food safety. There's nothing you can do creatively with this correct oh no there's all kinds of shit you can do with that oh bro yeah, you're gonna have I mean, to give me some ideas i'm dying to know yeah man i mean like you can take something that you need uh frozen on the fly and put it in there and freeze it you can uh there's a probe that you can like monitor the temperature and and know exactly what uh what degrees you need it to be at i mean honestly like the possibilities are endless prep wise on that if you have like um say i, I made like a uh, tiramisu um, and I kind of needed it to solidify for dinner service. You know, you can put it in the walk-in or you can put it in the freezer, but it's just not going to be the same quality. But you put it in the blast chiller and you can have it firm and ready to go and ready to cut, you know, in 60 minutes or less. Oh, wow, man. That's so sick. A lot of applications. Yeah. That's going to save you time, make you more efficient. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So you got... We're back. We're getting back on track. I love this. Uh, we can circle. Yeah, we can circle back uh, we around. Can keep <laughs> circling, dog. Um, so you you get you you've traveled. We get, we covered the travel. We covered. Oh, yeah, the, I get back in the states. So yeah. when yeah, so when I got back in the states, um, I was actually I was thinking about getting out of the industry. Uh, not that I was sick of it, but you know I was just wanting something new. Um, but that being said, like, it's what I had done for the past, you know, eight years at that, at that point. Um, so, you know, I, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time I was talking to her and I'm like, well, fuck man, like, this is what I'm good at. Like, if I'm going to make money, I can either go make minimum wage or I could get paid a lot of money to do what I'm good at. So I ended up interviewing at three or four different places and every single one of those places offered me the chef position. Every single one of them. So I had four standing offers. Um, and the only thing that was left, I decided which one I wanted, but the only thing that was left was I needed to set up some references. So I ended up calling my old chef, uh, Kevin Dean. Um, and he was, uh, he was, he worked at Thirsty Lion before. So, you know, I, I just called him up like, Hey bud, like, um, you know, I'm back in the States. Do you care if I use you on my, you know, as a reference? And right away, he's just like, oh, my God, you're back in town. Like, what are you doing? Are, are you cooking? Are you are you going to be a chef? Are you going to do this? And um, and he ended up, uh, he said, well, come and see me. Come talk to me. 
And I was like, okay, well, where are you at? And he, he was at this restaurant called Copper River. And it was ironic that I worked at Big River under Diego, and this place is called fucking Copper River. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me Google it. So I Google where it's at, three minutes away from my house. No shit. Three minutes, yeah. So <laughs> so I had all these offers on the table, pretty high-paying jobs, actually, at the time. Um, and I go, I go down to talk to him, and I'm just excited to see him. And uh, we just bullshit. I mean, we don't really talk about anything but like my travels and what I've done and, you know, the book I put out and all this other shit. Um, and he ends up, uh, he ends up, you know, saying, oh, well, let me talk to the GM. Let me, he wants to talk to you real quick. So the GM comes and he sits down and he kind of BSs with me. And then like halfway through the interview, I was like, I looked at him. And I'm like, am I interviewing right now? And he's like, <laughs> and, the, and the general manager is like, uh, yeah, are you, are you not wanting to interview? And I was like, yeah, I mean, either way, whatever's fine, whatever's clever. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, well, what am I interviewing for? Cause I didn't even know. And he's like, you're in, you're interviewing for the executive chef. And he looked at me like I was stupid. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up, um, interviewing a couple more times and they made me the offer. So I had five offers on the table at that time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I wanted to go for the most high, the highest paying, but, uh, Taya, the, my girlfriend at the time, she was like, look, this place is three minutes down the street. You're working with Kevin. You already know him. You know, it's pretty much the same concept as thirsty lion. You know, you should go and do that. Um, and so I ended up there, uh, the problem with that though, was she was right in saying that it was the same concept. So I was doing the same fucking food mm. and that's kind of where chefs go to die when you can't evolve, you know, when you're doing yes. like, yeah, you're making, you know, uh, chicken tenders when you leave. And when you come back to the States, you're making chicken tenders. It's just like, okay, there's my soul is gone. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you, you've just traveled the world and seen all sorts of different cuisines and different techniques. And then you're going to go and do the same thing like that for me would probably trigger a pretty severe depression. And I would think like, what's the point? Yeah. So the only good thing is that my ambition kind of took over. So, you know, where I could have just sat on the sidelines and acted like it was a nine to five, you know, I showed that, you know, as Conor McGregor says it best, I'm not here to take part. I'm here to take over. There you go. So I actually, I showed the owners that, and, um, you know, they, uh, I was the only chef in the company that asked them if I can put stuff on the menu or if I can get approval for things. So here I am like, you know, uh, not the corporate chef. And I'm over here building menus for them, uh, doing tastings. And, you know, they were impressed. They loved the food I made, uh, from my travels, from my childhood, from everything. Um, and a lot of it is still on the menu to get today in their company. So they own all the Oswego grills. They own uh, copper river and hop social tavern in Arizona. Um, and I, you know, through my dedication and everything, every time that like a chef was out, I would go to their restaurant and help. Um, and every time that there was an issue, I went and helped. So I ended up being the only chef in that company that they sent to every single restaurant, including Arizona. I, I went to Arizona for like two weeks and guest chef. Oh man, that's sick. Don't, did they kind of, well, actually real quick, isn't the owner Bud, a dude named Bud? 
<laughs> it's crazy that you know Bud and not Dave. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. How do you how do you know Bud? Uh, I know him through a buddy's dad. He's he's in Alaska right now, right? Yeah, he lives yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get him on the show one of these days. Like, uh, I love Bud, man. yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude for sure. That's weird, man. What a small world. Yeah, small he's, world. that guy's down to earth too. He's a yeah. You know, he's a multimillionaire, but the first day I met him, I thought he was like a construction guy walking mm-hmm. through my kitchen and lost. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I help you, sir? And he's like, oh, I'm the owner. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's crazy, man. Um, uh, and I shouldn't say, I don't know. I don't know if you'd know me. I know him through one of my best friend's dad. That's his best friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. Um, but back on topic. So, so you, you got, you got a guest chef in Arizona Mm -hmm. and, um, do they, do they kind of, they kind of advertise you coming down? Cause it, that's, that's another weird thing. Like to be in the food scene, you really got to be in the know. Um, my good buddy, a mind lathe and he's been on the podcast he's he's doing a documentary series about the food industry in portland I, i'm gonna i gotta connect you to actually um so we can film your stuff and 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 whatnot but um right on one of the things uh like he he would probably know if you were guest chefing or something mm-hmm. like that like he's just i don't understand how you get in the know you're gonna have to help me because i'm all about this this scene it's pretty cool yeah so um when i went down so it's again same company so uh, their chef, you know, he had been working like a year straight, no vacation, just no nothing. Um, and he had a wedding that he was coming to. Ironically, he was coming to Oregon. Okay. So he was, so he was flying to Oregon the exact same day that I was flying to Arizona, which is kind of weird. You know, our planes are crossing. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, uh, so, uh, the, the vice president of the company, she came to me straight up and she was like, Hey, um, I just, you know, I wanted to see what your thoughts are. If you can come and, you know, kind of watch over this restaurant. Um, and hop social in Arizona, it's the only restaurant in their company that had a similar menu than mine at copper river. Uh, so, I mean, it made the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when I went down there, you know, I got like the red carpet treatment as far as the servers and, you know, everyone knew who I was and why I was there. And probably everyone got the talk beforehand, like, you know, Hey, this guy better not have no shit while he's here, you know, no call outs, no nothing. Um, but, but I wasn't there to, to babysit. I was there to help, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave and then be like, fuck that guy's gone. I wanted to leave and then be like, man, I miss Aaron, you know? Um, So every day I was there, you know, like, um, their sous chef was like on seven days straight. And I, you know, I gave her a day off and it was just kind of that thing of like living to serve, you know? Um, but while I, the, the first week I was down there, you know, I, I feel like I kind of won over the whole staff uh, to where, you know, they're, you know, <laughs> they were bringing me coffees, you know, and just everyone was happy that I was there. Um, and then I started fixing stuff. There was just so much to that kitchen that I noticed I'm like looking around, I'm like, well, that's a health code violation. Or, <laughs> that could get someone sick or, you know, this pipe leaking over here needs to be fixed. And it was funny because the sous chef would, you know, would tell me like, oh, well, you have to get approval for that. And I, and I would tell her, I was like, 
well, you got approval. Blame it on me. Pay for it. Get it done. Um, and if anyone bitches, tell them I said it. So, you know, I was it was kind of ballsy. It was kind of gutsy. But at the same time, like, I knew if the owner was come to me and say, hey, why, why did you spend this much on repair and maintenance? I could tell her straight up, like, well, would you rather get shut down for getting someone sick? You know, or would you rather somebody notice a problem and take care of it? And uh, luckily for me, they were, you know, they were over the moon. So by the time the chef actually came back, it was like all clean and new. And I hired people and, you know, and just pulled the trigger. I was pulling the trigger on everything. Like uh, they were making demi gloss and they were just making it completely fucking wrong. They were mm. making Berblanc and it was like water. You know, it was, it was just one of those things where I, I saw the need uh, where certain cooks just weren't being taught. Uh, they just, you know, they didn't have that one-on-one -on -one time with the chef. Um, and I felt like me coming up, Diego gave me that, um, Diego was always there when I fucked something up. He was the first person to tell me, but he would tell me why he would tell me why I did it, how I did it and how I'd fix it next time. And he wouldn't be nice. He wouldn't be nice about it, but the <laughs> simple fact, the simple <laughs> fact that he would, you know, like mentor me on stuff made me a better chef. So, um, True story. I actually keep in contact with the sous chef from Arizona down there uh, till this day. He invited me to his wedding and everything. Um, you know, there uh, a lot of cooks actually reach out to me asking if I'm ever going to come back there. Um, you know, it's it was it was a hell of an experience to just be out there teaching and and kind of like you know I wasn't I didn't have shit else to do. I wasn't hitting up the bars. I was staying in a hotel across the street. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just living in this restaurant right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this, that, and that's it's one of the things that I'm just fascinated about with the chefs that I know. Like it is their life. It is their life. This is what they do. They a lot of them do not get days off. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they don't go fucking insane. But if you love <laughs> what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Ain't that the truth? I'm on day 20 right now. <laughs> 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 How do you, I mean, I get it. I sh but uh, wait, wait, wait. Twenty consecutive days. I'm, yes, I'm saying, oh, I do that. No, no, I don't yes, do that. I get the weekends, bro. That's so crazy. And what? What's that? I mean, one of the things I've always experienced. I got to backtrack because I had I've had friends that have worked in the food industry. One's mm -hmm. a doctor now, and yeah. she says she fucking loved it. She's like, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. And I was like, I, I don't understand why, but I mean, is it something to do with that rush? Like that dinner rush? Do you, does your adrenaline kind of spike and you're just like, we're swamped and, and, and you kind of get in the zone. Is that what it is? What is the addiction? Yeah. That's, uh, absolutely. So, I mean, um, one of the things that I say, it's, it's kind of like the Bane saying, but I'm, you know, I say I was born in the flames. Like I'm used to the flames. That's where I thrive. I thrive when I'm drowning. When I, when I'm, when I'm drowning, that's when I learn how to swim. But when you're on a boat, then how are you ever going to learn to swim? You know, if you're safe, uh, in your comfort zone, you're never going to push past where you're at. But if you're in the middle of the fucking ocean drowning, you're going to figure it out. And not only are you going to figure it out, but once you do figure it out, you're going to look back and be like, how the hell did I do that? So I've had, uh, I've had nights where, you know, that I consider wars and we did, we did war chants on the line. Uh, I've, I've gotten my whole team riled up, uh, from with tech nine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard, uh, worldwide choppers. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. So the intro I used to, it would, every Sunday we would do brunch. 
And every single Sunday I would walk on and they would know when I came on because I would come on and go, hey, away, away, away. <laughs> and they would all echo that, you know, and we would just do that together three or four times. And it was just like this rush of like, okay, comrades, we're in this shit together. You know, like, you know, we're, we're the slums of, of the universe, but we're putting out the best food. We're putting out, you know, things that we're proud of that, you know, and that's kind of the rush of it is it's this impossible task of like, how the hell are you going to keep up and keep quality? Cause anyone could throw shit on a plate, but you know, when you're, when you're doing, you know, high volume and, um, and you're actually putting out food where people are writing reviews and saying, you know, chef Aaron is this or, or, or copper river is that, you know, it kind of gives you this pride of just knowing that you're actually doing something. So I, th I feel like that's kind of where a lot of chefs are is that they want to, they want to feel valuable or they want to feel valued, I, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I can tell that you love this because there was a lot of passion and fire and everything. I could see you just getting hyped up. <laughs> I could see you getting hyped up. So you leave the Oswego institution, right? The, yes, that, that, and then is this when you open your restaurant now? Uh, yeah. So this company, um, it's crazy how it happened, man. It was, uh, <laughs> so ironically, Bud, out of, out of all people, he yelled at my GM one day over the phone. Um, and she just up and quit. Oh. She threw, she, yeah. And this was at Copper River. So she just threw her keys down and she just quit. Um, and you know, and one of the things she said to me, she was like, Aaron, you're better than this. You know, like all the food that you put on the menu, like that's way more quality than this. Like you're, you don't deserve to be in this restaurant. You deserve to be in a restaurant where you're making the menu and you're calling the shots. Um, and it was kind of like an eye opening moment where, you know, I didn't even have to look. So believe it or not, I didn't, I didn't even look, I didn't apply for this job at all. I, um, I texted one of my friends uh, who used to work at Copper River, and she's at another restaurant, Bricks Tavern, down uh, uh, in Portland in the Pearl. I've, I've had a brunch there, and, a, and, oh, a, right and a traditional Portland brunch where I got fucking hammered. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. Yeah, those, uh, those bottomless mimosas will catch up with you. Evidently, we brunch different than the entire rest of the world. Like, a Portland brunch is where you just go get hammered, so... That's not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> that, that is exactly how you're supposed to do it, my man. But anyways, sorry. No, you're good. So yeah, I texted her and all I said was, hey, um, is your company hiring? And she goes, what? Are you looking to leave Copper? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just seeing what's out there. Well, she ended up uh, hooking me up with an interview. So I, I interviewed with the chef. Um, at bricks and he thought I was interviewing for sous chef at, at first. And I'm like, no man, like I'm already an executive chef. Like I'm not interviewing to be under you, you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, and my, and my restaurant was so much higher volume than his. And, you know, it, I'm not speaking down on him at all, but, uh, you know, it was one of those eye opening moments where he was like, Oh, you know, like I need to pass him along to my boss. Mm -hmm. So then I got another interview and another interview and then met with the owner. Um, and this went on for six weeks actually. Wow. And, uh, so, um, it's crazy, but I put in my notice at copper river without having a job. Cause I wanted, I wanted to give respect to my chefs, um, and you know, my owners and people that gave me a chance in that company. Cause I had no, you know, I had no hatred towards them at all. It was all like, it was all love, man. So 
uh, I put in a six week notice and filled it out completely while I was interviewing with uh, this other company. And here comes Mr. Michelin, um, the, you know, the British guy who's literally worked at Michelin restaurants and had his own restaurant in New York. And, you know, the final test, he was like the final boss where I interviewed with, I interviewed with the owner and everybody and everybody liked me. And the final boss here, he says, okay, well, I need you to put together 10 dishes of your own to present to me and the owners. And it was just, yeah, it was just straight up like working in their kitchen and doing a full on tasting for Mr. Michelin himself. And, uh, and you know what? It was funny, funny enough. I was just ready, man. I was super excited for it. So even if I didn't get the job, I was just ready. Um, and so the day of the tasting, it was kind of funny, but he even, he came to me, you know, and he, uh, he's such a sweet guy, you know, he's, he's intimidating, but he's nice guy. And he, and he was like, so you're nervous, aren't you? And I looked at him and I was like, no chef, I'm not. And he said, ah, uh, come on, man, you're a little nervous. And I said, no chef, not at all. And, and he just looked at me like I was crazy. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, if you don't like my food, fuck you. Like, if, 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 yes. if, the, if the owner doesn't like my food, fuck you. Because it, because I knew in, in my heart that I wasn't going to give him nothing less than my best. I was going to give them the best of everything I had. So if my best wasn't good enough, get fucked, man. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, hit the road. So, um, it obviously turned out well. Um, they offered me this position. Um, and this is actually their staple, uh, restaurant, if that makes sense. So this restaurant will be the biggest in the company for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, and it's not even open yet. And you've and, and what sort of inspiration are you drawing with this restaurant and putting together the menu and like what, what, what kind of dishes can we expect to see? Oh man. So you, uh, you know, you, I don't know if you've seen this spot, but it, it's formerly Alta Bira. If you want to look up that restaurant. Okay. Um, and so it's a rooftop view of the convention center that gets mm -hmm. lit up at night. It's fucking beautiful, man. And you know, the view is superb. But the patio itself, um, you know, it's second to none. They got fire pits and everything, and the entire top floor is mine. So we got ballrooms. We got uh, that you can we can rent out to weddings. Uh, we do banquets. There's going to be uh, we have conference rooms, which I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of took all of that influence and I thought about what was what was in the area. So the convention center, you know, people are people were coming over here when it was all Tabira, um, and it was because. Uh, the drinks were cheaper, you know, than going in the convention center and having paying for a $20 drink. Mm -hmm. uh, you can come over here on happy hour. So what I wanted to do with this place was make like small plates that were intimate, um, very, very down to earth. And then all of the entrees are very like heavily, uh, Italian influenced. So on the small plate side, you can get something like a Kobe slider. Uh, we got, uh, tempura green beans. Um, I, I have uh, like Southern fried pickles. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. I, I tried to go also a versatile menu that you can kind of make it vegan or vegetarian. So like I, I put a risotto on there, but, um, it's, it's made from quinoa. So I mean like a quinoto. Uh, so it's like a salmon quinoa risotto. And like you take off the salmon, you take out the cheese, made vegan. You know, um, I put on a ricotta gnocchi. I put on a, a chicken piccata uh, with tagatelli pasta. Um, we got, I mean, we all, we have the classics too. I put, there's pizza and like ribeyes on there also. So, oh, you yeah. know, there's a little something for everybody. 
Um, but yeah, very, very heavy on like the vegetables and the small plate kind of aspect, because my initial thought is people want to come out, they want to sit on this view. They want to have the best possible happy hour and small plates while having a drink. Oh man, that's incredible. I, yeah, I gotta, I love that. Well, listen, we're going to have you back on the show after you open. We'll do an in, we'll do an in-person one. You come to the studio and we'll hang out, man. It'll be a great time. I appreciate you so much and people like you that are always pursuing excellence and not afraid to take a risk. Um, you keep doing what you're doing, man. I cannot fucking wait to go to that soft opening and check out your food. Um, I can't, I can't, I'm super excited for you and it's really good to reconnect, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Rick, man. And thank you for having me on. Yeah. Anytime. Where can people find your book, find your socials? Uh, so the book, it's, it's actually a, it's a novel. It's on, um, uh, Amazon. It's called the brotherhood of lost souls. Um, th- the main, um, the main, in, uh, what do you call it? Uh, social media I use is just Instagram. It's, uh, at AG Franco Ox. Okay, sweet, man. That'll be in the show notes. Um, again, man, thanks so much. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. And, uh, that's all we got for you guys. Peace.